Hello, and welcome to the Told You So podcast. I'm Brink. And I'm Carla. And today we're going to be talking about uh, two issues that are more connected than you might think. Uh, first, we're going to be discussing the book Fentanyl Inc. by Ben Westhoff. Uh, or Westhoff, I'm not sure how to say it. <laughs> um, but uh, I read it, uh, lent it to Carla because I thought it was such a good read. It was really uh, an interesting book. I thought it would be worth discussing. And then second, we're going to talk a little bit about the... Uh, current story of adulterated vape cartridges and people becoming ill from using vapes. Yes, we are going to talk about those things. I have to confess for all our listeners, uh, I have only read half the fentanyl book, but I will have <laughs> more than half the opinions. <laughs> well, yeah, Sonia, let's dive right into it. So uh, fentanyl ink, it's, it's sort of a, a story. It's, it's written in an interesting way. The author, Ben uh, Westhoff, is... Uh, He's a music journalist, so his previous books were about like uh, Tupac and, you know, the inner workings of, like, gangs and the rap scene. So he's very much like an on-the-ground music reporter. Um, and basically he saw in the music community, the people around him, people started dropping dead um, from fentanyl. Uh, and so he decided to do sort of a, a deep dive into how and why this was happening. Um, and it leads to some really interesting places, including a, an undercover visit to a Chinese chemical manufacturing company, um, you know, a bunch of sort of seedy, burned out drug houses. There's one in particular. Uh, I think it's a it's an old fire factory, excuse me, an old uh, tire factory, yep. um, which has been you know boarded up and turned into sort of a haven for the addict community in St. Louis or St. Louis. I never know whether anyway, it's not it's not St. Louis. It's St. Louis, I believe. Right. But I thought it was Meet Me in St. Louis. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I anyway, mean, it doesn't matter. I'm not from there. I don't know anything about it. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so the 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 main thrust of the book though is is about how this new drug fentanyl, which is a synthetic opioid, um, which you don't need uh, the poppies, you know, the actual physical poppies to produce it in the way that you need poppies to make opium or morphine or uh, heroin. You don't have to be a farmer. You don't have to grow a crop. You right. basically are replacing that whole more holistic and botanical approach with lab coats and chemicals. Right. And it's and they're significantly more uh, powerful. I mean, it, it, and I'm sure that you've heard uh, in reporting, well, this is a whole different topic, uh, but about fentanyl and carfentanyl, which are, you know, again, two uh, opioids, uh, synthetic opioids. Fentanyl is extremely powerful. It's like 40 times as powerful as heroin. Um, carfentanyl is apparently about 100 times as powerful it's as heroin. It's a rhino yeah. and anesthesia. So. <laughs> literal, literal elephant tranquilizer. It will, it will stop an elephant dead yeah. in its tracks. So. And just a few, you know, a, a grain of that is, is a full dose. Um, so the interesting part of this story, though, it's, it's about how, well, first of all, I think a lot of the discussion of opiate abuse or opioid abuse in America, it's kind of had this narrative that people are prescribed pain pills after a surgery or something, and then they get hooked, and then all of a sudden they're on heroin, and then all of a sudden they're out in the streets. Um, and it doesn't seem like that's really what's happening by and large. Uh, I mean, there, there is a certain, there's a certain, like the, in the population that's being affected by fentanyl, uh, in a, to, a, to a large extent, it doesn't seem like that many people switch from, um, you know, Oxycontin or whatever, like oral opiates to injecting heroin. Uh, that's like, I, I, that's not like a line that I saw. It seems like people, it, and, and, you know, tell me if you disagree with this, but it seems like there's a population of people who are interested in using heroin. And those are the people that are most heavily being affected by the introduction of fentanyl to the whole ecosystem. Um, I'm not sure I 100% agree with it. I, I, I do think both of those things are actually happening, right? I yes. mean, the book does talk uh, about the overprescription of oxy and all of that, mm -hmm. which we know from pharmaceutical companies like Purdue, you know, who are being sued now. And right. so there was basically the pharma companies, big pharma in the late 90s, started to say, oh, but you know what? These like super strong uh, opioid-based medicines that we have are now magically not addictive. <laughs> not addictive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the, the, in, in particular, they talk about, uh, I believe it's Oxycontin, mm -hmm. where it's a time-release um uh, dose of opiate and your the the marketing was basically that you would be 
covered for a whole day with one of these pills. Right, or, or one in the morning, or, one right, in the yeah, evening pills, kind of thing. Me. And then, of course, as humans do with everything that we do, people immediately hacked right. that. They were like, oh, you know what? We can uh, totally crush these, snort these, smoke these. <laughs> right. well, well, and above and beyond that, though, it, it didn't work for the duration that the company claimed. So what ended up happening was people started taking more and more of it and developing a tolerance and a dependency on it. Um, and, and that maybe and, they wouldn't have if they were taking it at the recommended dose, but it didn't do what it said it would. Right, <laughs> and and you know, and and with that sort of concept of the overprescription was this idea of people going to the hospitals. And mm. in the past, you know, if you had a hip replacement surgery or a knee, you know, or a shoulder or whatever it was, they would give you some medicine in the hospital, and then, but they weren't giving you like thirty pills, you know, right. for a month. And so by the end of the month, you're addicted, right? And yeah. then from there, it sort of went to the heroin stuff. But with the fentanyl, so the fentanyl is pretty much was introduced in kind of two ways, I would say, right? One is that uh, a lot of products are just being cut with it. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the sort of dark web right. aspect of it. And initially, it was it was diversion from hospitals. Like, I guess there was a patch or yeah. a, a fentanyl gel patch that people could get. Um, for, again, time-release pain control. And that's I, I, the reason that I'm – with the whole pain control thing, I mean, the, the one of the biggest tragedies of this, obviously there's the tragedy of all the death uh, from overdoses, but also people with real chronic pain who aren't having it appropriately controlled. And, uh, you know, it leads to horrible outcomes. It leads to suicide. It leads to, uh, you know, miserable – uh, existence and for those people that you know they're targeted because of the overprescription epidemic, but they're like, I need those prescriptions because I can't function without them. So that's that's a whole side that doesn't really get talked about. Yeah, and I think that's important. I mean, I think you know my, my sort of takeaway from the book, of course, like my takeaway is from a lot of things in life is just, wow, look at the government screwing this up way more than it needs to be <laughs> screwed up, yeah. right? Because we know well, one of the outcomes with this is exactly what you just said. Where Right. Where it's like the people who actually do need medicine, who have chronic pain, who are truly suffering, i.e. really sick people, mm -hmm. are now also being caught up in this dragnet where it's like no one is getting what they need. Yeah. And, and and I mean, I don't even think the state is getting what it needs at this stage, right? No, it's not. It's not working for anyone. It's it's extremely expensive and ineffective. Um, but. So the, so the interesting thing with the way that this all was introduced, it's really it's a story about prohibition. I mean, it's a it's a drug that really probably wouldn't be in popular use without prohibition. Um, and maybe this is like a good a, a good spot for a little history lesson background because a lot of people don't know this. Uh, but the modern world of hard alcohol was really created from alcohol prohibition. Prior to alcohol prohibition, there was wine, cider, beer, fortified wine, and then, you know, occasional spirits. Um, there was like grappa and scotch and some, you know, different different things, but it was it was certainly not the mainstay of drinking culture. No, and those were usually like regional and they'd be special right. occasion right. or they'd be an aperitif or something. They wouldn't be like, hey, let's drink a bottle of scotch tonight. Right. So now, you know, fast forward and it's... Uh, Prohibition is uh, put into place. 1920s, right? we got some flappers. All of a sudden, okay. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, for for one of the, you know, it's happened lots of times in the past, but in America, for the very first time, uh, the government decides that they can change human nature. <laughs> we will write words on a piece of paper, and somehow people will magically yeah, just do no what we drink. say. Um, and so, you know, you you want every people want alcohol. People want to sell alcohol to the people that want alcohol, but all of a sudden, it's really hard to move kegs of beer. You know, beer, cider, they're low alcohol content. And if you're going to run a bar and serve those products and people want to get drunk, they're going to have to drink a lot of it. And you're going to have to be trucking in kegs. You're going to have to be getting, you know, all kinds of large products. And into of your course, bar. if it's illegal, there's a higher risk. So right. every time you're moving volumes of anything, it becomes riskier. So it makes sense to whatever you're moving in those volumes for it so, to be stronger. Right. So again, the entrepreneurial spirit kicks in. People realize, hey, beer takes up a lot of room and spirits take up a lot less room. Um, we can just homebrew this stuff and sell it. 
Uh, and all of a sudden, you end up with the you know iconic bathtub gin, where mm, <laughs> yummy full blind of, full of methanol and full of all of the all the things that would be removed through a proper distillation process. But it's amateurs, and they're just trying to make a buck uh, and move some products. And so anyway, so they serve it, and people go blind. And uh, the adoption of those drugs again, like alcohol is a drug, and spirits is a concentrated form of that drug. Uh, and it's unlikely that you know the cocktail culture, the whole idea of drinking mixed drinks at bars and getting wasted, wouldn't have existed without alcohol prohibition. Probably, I mean, America had like a tavern culture and a pub culture, but the the modern American go to a bar to get absolutely hammered. Um, it might not even be a factor in our society if we had skipped that phase of prohibition. So to bring this back around to fentanyl, um, heroin is bulky. Opium is really bulky. Uh, fentanyl, you can use just a teeny tiny fraction uh, of the weight of fentanyl to get the same effect as as heroin. So if you're a drug trafficker and you're somebody that needs to move quantities of drugs, uh, if it fits a better high in a smaller space, it's a winner. Um, well, and, so- and it's also because of, by the very nature of the prohibition, right? Yeah. So it's making the, the safer. I mean, heroin is and morphine are safer than cart- whatever the yeah, one fentanyl, was, and fentanyl right yeah. and uh certainly you know marijuana just the natural leafy plant is certainly safer than all these like spice and fake cannabinoids yeah. that are being made oh and man and that, that's a, that's right? a whole we, yeah we could talk about that later that, that's a whole it's it's kind of i have a problem with even calling it synthetic cannabis because right. it's not it's no, it's synthetic it's, cannabinoids it's, yeah which it's is like very some kind of you know like weirdo poison yeah. uh, that is literally you know the packets say not fit for human <laughs> right. ingestion because that was like a workaround yeah. to to be like, well, we're not breaking the law. Oh, incense. So, I mean, the point <laughs> being, right, so because of this prohibition, so I think, you know, certainly the, the case, I think you'll agree with me, it's just prohibition has terrible outcomes and by making something illegal, you're actually making it much more dangerous. A good yes. analogy would be, you know, I love to cook, you love to cook. I have a simmering oxtail mm-hmm. waiting in the kitchen. Um but imagine like if people made ovens yeah. and they didn't put thermometers on them. Right. And, and they were just know. like, hey, like I hope like, you know, you use this tool and I kind of just, you know, and then translate that logic to something like drugs yeah. where we are literally saying to people, here's dangerous stuff that you should really like know what yeah. you're ingesting or using or whatever. And really the dosage might be really right. important as to whether you live or die. So let's take all of those tools away. Let's push it into the black market. Let's make it as humanly dangerous as humanly possible right. in the most inhumane possible way. And then be punish- like, gee, we're yeah. so surprised that people are addicted, sick, and dying. Well, hmm. it's because a big part at the center of it is the desire to punish drug users because they are immoral. And if you were good, you wouldn't do that. And you're bad. And therefore, you need to be punished. So if a few eggs get cracked on the way to the perfect drug-free society omelet, then so be it. And and uh, I mean we we know that really worked out well for the prohibitionists, yeah, the alcohol prohibitionists, bodies in the streets right? and the creation of American organized crime. It was yeah. awesome. Yeah, <laughs> and 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 that's pretty much where we are right now, right? In yeah. terms of of drugs. Well, and it becomes even more concerning. I mean, so I remember a long time ago there was a ridiculous ad that. Uh, I forget what agency ran it. It might have been the ONDCP. But basically it was like, if you smoke pot, you're supporting 9-11. Oh, because, yeah. We're about terrorism. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So at the time, that was uh, kind of ludicrous. Um, now maybe less ludicrous. Uh, not Although- with marijuana because it's becoming legal all over the place. So you're paying the people that live in your community and run businesses, not cartels. But with these, you know, with the fentanyl market, so the get into a little bit of how it was sort of introduced into the uh, supply of drugs in America. The story he tells in the book is about these two guys who, uh, you know, they're both heroin users who've been friends for a long time. They buy and sell heroin, (coughs) excuse me, um, from a Mexican cartel. And the way they do it is they get a cash car that's got a bunch of money in it and they drive over the bridge and they go meet up with these, uh, 
cartel guys in the parking lot at like a big truck stop and they get out of their car with all the money. Yeah, right, right. (laughs) So they get out of their car with all the money and they, you know, say, hey, what's up, guys? And they hand the keys over and they get into the other car. The cartel guys take their car and they drive away with the money and then they have a scary drive back over the bridge with the car full of drugs. Um, And then one time when they were doing this, you know, this was like a system that they had kind of down pat. Uh, and they would get everything, you know, there would be like an M if it was methamphetamine or an H if it was heroin on the package written in Sharpie. And they got all these packages that said F. And they're like, what is F? And so they, they call It'll get you F'd up. Yeah. Oh, That's man. what the F is. It's like heroin, but way better. You can cut it with the heroin and people are going to love you. Like they're going to think it's the best high they ever had. Um, so they go to work in... I mean, it's terrifying when you think about it. They go to work cutting together their heroin and the fentanyl in a Mr. Coffee yeah, uh, right. to grind it together, which, like, <laughs> this, these are compounds where, I mean, fentanyl is so strong that it's, it's like micrograms or the dosage that we're talking about. And you can't even measure that by eye. Like, you, you definitely, you, you need an advanced digital scale. You need uh, equipment that will actually distribute the powders equally when you make a mixture of two different solids. So long story short, they're mixing together fentanyl and heroin. It ends up meaning that you don't know, you know, is this bag of 10 grams of heroin, is it, you know, 50 micrograms of fentanyl? seven times stronger, one time stronger, a hundred times stronger. Is this going to kill me or just get me high? A different part of the bag might be way straight. You know what I mean? So they start distributing this cut heroin and it's a hit. People are getting messed up. And, and, <laughs> and, and they actually, love it. I, sorry to interrupt, yeah, no. but like in the, in the book, one of the things that really struck me and it is kind of tragic is that junkies, uh, you know, if someone ODs yeah. somewhere in an area, no one's like, oh, we should avoid that. Yeah. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, where is he got? Because that's the good stuff. Right, whatever. You know? If you OD, that means that it's real strong. And it's, so, it's you know, and, and that sort of shocked me a little bit because it does, you know, it, 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 and we can get into this later. But, you know, there is that whole thing where it's like, let's not lose the element of personal responsibility in all right. of this. You know, and well, we'll, and we'll get to that. There's but. a whole lot. Of, I mean, I think also there's a certain aspect of because the way that our culture treats people that are addicted to things. It's like, you're already dead. You know what I mean? Right. Like and, that's and the, the attitude towards them. Help, is, you know, yeah. like, I mean, I will say this, like I have never, I've done, you know, my fair share of stuff, but I've never done heroin. And, yeah. and, and the reason is quite simply that when I was like 13, my parents made me watch some like horrible Dutch movie called Christiana F, oh, which yeah, was but... just like horrifying. Like she's injecting in De- you know, in Denmark, heroin. Right? In, yeah, I think it was Dutch, but it might have been in. Well, because there's that Christiana in Denmark where it was like a no rules zone and it's like everybody's. No, she's and... her, her name is Christiana. <laughs> oh, so oh, it's okay. like Christiana F and that's the character. And she's I mean, towards the end, you know, like she's injecting into her eyelid. Uh. I mean, it's just really like this. It's like a gross spiral into, but I saw it just at the right time where I was like, okay, well that's kind of going on the, I will not do list for me personally. Yeah. I was, when I was a teenager, I saw Requiem for a dream and I was like, yeah, that one, that one definitely, (laughs) definitely, you know, underscored the already learned lesson there. And, I, mean, I only I watched that once, and it's like burned into my brain. That poor that actress is so good. The the older woman who's like hooked on amphetamines. Oh yeah, right. It's really like disturbing and upsetting. Man, that is a that is a disturbing movie. And and <laughs> speaking of meth, I mean, one of the interesting things in in the fentanyl book is just learning. I learned a lot. Like I feel yeah. like I'm I know a lot about like drugs, drug culture. It's mm-hmm. definitely something I'm I'm you know it's an area of of interest and expertise, but how regional drug use in America is now, right? Where they were talking about these different pockets, you know, where it would be like fentanyl would pop up in these different areas, but then there would be like these little pockets where it's just like hardcore meth addicts or like meth addicts are like, man, we got to chill out. We got to get like something that makes us less like paranoid and like hyper. And then, you know, it gets replaced with this other flavor of drug. Right. Well, no, and it it does create cultures. I mean, that was the, we, we, well, Here's a little detour. Sorry. They also, I don't know if you got to this point in the book, but they talk about, um, I think it's a research chemical called NBEOM2 or something, but it's like a psychedelic um, that is, uh, it has some elements that are kind of like MDMA and elements of a psychedelic as well. And they're called N-bombs. 
and they were, you know, one of these like unregulated research chemicals slash he calls them uh, novel novel psychoactive substances yep. and NPSs. Yep. Um, I guess that's like the official government term for them. Um, but anyway, it was it was the story of a kid, a high school kid that found out, you know, how to order them on the dark web and use some like Silk Road, Road analog site to get them. And he was dealing these N-bombs to the whole school. And, like, it was just wild to read. I mean, I don't think this was the point of the story. But, like, they created a drug subculture around the effects of this particular drug. And it was, like, all the football team was doing it. All the all the kids were being friendly together. And not like I'm, I, I'm making it sound like it was this wonderful thing. And maybe it was. That's the, like, that's the strange thing is the drug cultures that are popular in America are alcohol. Like, alcohol is a big drug, drug culture. You get together. You get wasted. You get in fights. And... People use it in different little, but but it was very interesting. And to see somehow how quickly... the world didn't come to an end when we ended alcohol prohibition, and right. just you know the world will not come to an end. In fact, the world will become a better place when we get over this hundred years of yeah. insanity. Yeah, well, but I mean, and that was the interesting thing. If people are free to like experiment or whatever, they things might be very different. Uh, we might not have a, a culture based on alcohol and tobacco consumption. Not right. like not like a culture should be based on any drug, but it, it is like our communal drug of choice, alcohol. Well, the thing is, well, well, let's explore that just for a second, right? So, yes. So, alcohol is because, mostly because I think, because it's legal, right? Right, legal and familiar. Um, and, yeah. you know, and so somehow we, we have figured out as a society, you know, what our tolerance is, what's good yeah. behavior. Oh, you Plus know, it's drinking and driving religion. maybe like isn't it's part a good of, thing. Like, I mean, the fact that it's inherent to Christianity, the like sharing wine at the last, you know, right. this is my body. This Water is my, like, into wine. It's really pretty. There, there's a whole lot of uh, cultural weight to alcohol. And and because, you know, I mean, it's sort of alcohol and drugs. I mean, they've been around since we as humans have been around. We know yeah, even literally. animals will, yeah. you know, elephants in Africa when the Amarula are getting mm -hmm. ripe. They get and wasted. monkeys, yeah. they're like, yeah, we're going to go party <laughs> down at the Amarula tree. And a drunk elephant is, is a special thing I'm to bad. <laughs> well, and even with humans, I mean, there's there's lots of evidence of uh, everybody's been taking stuff that makes them feel different for about as long as there have been people. Right. Uh, in particular, I, I remember, if I remember correctly, there was a um, in a in a Chinese uh, tomb. I mean, it, not like uh, central China, but it would have been in like uh, where the Mongols were from, like the Asian steppe. Um, where the Scythians were from, but they they found you know a burial site thirty five hundred years old with a obviously ruling class type person with all kinds of ornaments and a bunch of cannabis right that was separated that was you know just Special, female right? cannabis flowers just like you would find in the tomb of a Grateful Dead fan. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, let's talk about that like a little bit, right? So, but for me, like I, I people think this is a really fake distinction but like i like natural botanical organic like more mm. like you know i like the the biological holistic world right yeah. so so definitely I, those are more like my drugs of choice right but you know i mean i also spent a lot of time in the 90s in san francisco when we had our you know pretty decent ecstasy days mm. and one of the things that really struck me in the book was you know when you look at the original drugs so if we look yep. at mdma if we look at you know cocaine even heroin even yeah. marijuana like all the more natural even lsd right mm. so yes that is a chemical but it was also like okay they they studied it they came yeah. up with a, uh, molecules yeah. you know it kind of made sense it made it scientific sense. And basically, because we've outlawed those things, what has happened is everyone is like taking it one step farther. So everyone's like, well, we got to break that molecule because they made this particular right. thing and this particular recipe, for lack of a better term, um, illegal. This compound is now illegal, right. right? And so there's this sort of race started between uh, drug producers, let's mm. say the lab coat people, right, who are like, well, we want to make products and we want to give them to people and people want these products. They right. actually want the, the healthier, better, therapeutic, non-killy versions of it. But we can't it, sell those. But we can't sell those, <laughs> so we're going to keep, like, hacking this. Yeah. And so there are these factories all over China yeah. that that's what they're doing. And basically what they do is if the Chinese government 
doesn't make it illegal, then people are like, we are making these chemical compounds and we export them. And these are like legit factories yeah. where, you know, like people are in lab coats and they're just making the stuff, yeah. right? Well, and this is where the, it also gets very interesting. I think, uh, I don't know if you made it this far in the book, but the, uh, the Chinese government um, basically for the past like decade or two has been subsidizing the tech industry. And in China, chemical manufacturers are part of the tech industry. Um, so when they make all these substances, so for example, um, and again, sorry, this is a detour, but the, the, the book was really fascinating and the whole book is written in kind of like a scattershot way with like personal story, anecdote next to journalistic exploration. So I feel like maybe we're mirroring the experience of reading the book. But <laughs> Sure. <laughs> yeah, sure. So anyway, um, there, it, the book talks about how there were these uh, people on the forefront of research into psychoactive chemicals where they see, you know, the deep potential of all of these things to improve human life. Um, that's where a lot of the research on these synthetic cannabinoids came from was one particular doctor. I, his, his initials are JWH and that's the name of the first wave of spice and K2. They were all JWH 108, JWH, whatever. 18. Yeah, yes. right, yeah. That's right. Because that one got banned. <laughs> right. Well, and his job was for Purdue to experiment with and create synthetic cannabinoids. And so he had all of this research work that was published and peer-reviewed. Um, and what it seems like happened was in the night, you know, once the internet happened, people were like, cannabinoids, that's what's in weed. Weed's illegal. Maybe if I smoke that, I'll get high. Uh, and the great race for let's just smoke stuff that seems like other stuff <laughs> was kind of born. Um, so, you know, you have that one researcher, you have the sort of pioneering uh, Alexand Alexandra Shulgin. Mm -hmm. um, he wrote two really interesting books. Well, not, they're, they're actually, they are really interesting. They're called Tycal and Pycal. It's uh, Tryptamines I've Known and Loved and Phenol phenalamines or phenalanines I've known and loved. Anyway, I'm not a chemistry person. I can't remember that stuff. Um, but it's all about he synthesized all these synthetic uh, psychoactive chemicals from safrole and other precursors, uh, safrole being the essential oil you get from sassafras trees, uh, which I feel like I'd, I'm now on a DEA watch list. Just so you know, you, you can make ecstasy out of sassafras trees. That's where it comes from. You can indeed. <laughs> and actually when they did some huge raid somewhere and they burnt tons of the oil, yeah. right? And that actually caused an ecstasy shortage, which mm -hmm. then led to the making of like yeah. something else that was an M instead of MDMA, right. it was like MDPP right. or something. So they, Keep breaking these things. Methylone and, then, and yeah, yeah, all these different and then, like, club drugs. Oh, let's start to give you stuff that yeah. might really make you sick or kill you. So long story short, there's all these drugs that have biological precursors uh, that you need to make them. Like to make real MDMA, you need safrole, which only comes from sassafras, which apparently, what you were just describing, there was a, there's a particular type of sassafras tree in Thailand or Cambodia or... I think it was Indonesia. Lao but that, or yeah, one of those Southeast areas, Asia, Southeast Asia. Right. But yeah, so they, they almost like eliminated the entire supply of it. So once you burn through the natural materials and the natural precursors, then you need to explore further. Um, so anyway, long story short, there's all these chemists and scientists that are invested in this like grand human endeavor of trying to make humanity's experience of the world better. And it's really noble. Like when you read about these sort of psychedelic pioneers, Shulgin in particular, it's like that he he – He's a big thinker that wants to change the world. And then the tragedy is then these sort of like piddling people that want to make some money take that research and they put it down a really dangerous, bad direction where they're, you know, selling people something that they don't know what it is. Well, also and they to, say it's like this thing. Well, also but it's to not qualify, <laughs> you know, the, the these poor people who are also just, you know, trying to create products and create, a, uh, you know, satisfy a market need. Um, a lot of this, once again, I mean, the blame actually lies with prohibition, right? right. And with, with saying that, you know, the, we're not going to allow people to, to know what are in these products. Right. I will say I felt super old <laughs> reading the book because, you know, 
I'd heard so many stories about like spice and crocodile and yeah, like yeah. all this stuff where I was like, oh my God, is this like the frying it in the pan with the, you know, this is your head on drugs thing? Right. Where I was just like, this is nonsense. Like, is this just like DEA propaganda right, drug that scares. they're putting yeah. out? But then I was like, oh, no, this stuff's real, you know? Well, and, and it is, it's new, too. I mean, that's the thing. Like, there's funny memes where it's, like, idiots talking about how much more potent marijuana is now than it used to be. And if you add it all up, like, all the dire predictions the DEA has made, like, marijuana is, like, 85 million times stronger today than it was in <laughs> 1960, which, like, people still aren't dying from it. Right, and, and, and just to give you an idea with the K2 and the and the spice, yeah. I mean, this is basically like they're making a chemical in a lab and yep. then they're taking that and then they're taking what they called organic stuffs. Right. So I'm like, I mean, who even knows what that Freaking is, right? Kale, and they're uh, like spraying, <laughs> and they're spraying the chemicals yeah. on it and then drying it and then putting it in these packets, which people can then buy, you know, in... The corner stores. It's the grown-up like, version of like selling oregano and saying it's weed. Right? <laughs> and, and, and honestly, this is a total aside, but I did have a friend visit from South Africa once in San Francisco, and he came home with like a little baggie of weed weed in air quotes and I was like dude where did you get that and yeah. he was like well I was at Hate Ashbury this afternoon and, <laughs> and I was like please tell me you did not buy a packet of oregano for like a hundred dollars <laughs> from some dude in Hate Ashbury and then I was like we should totally smoke this yeah. and of course it was not weed. <laughs> it wasn't even spice <laughs> well I mean and that is the different thing like I remember you know you read in the back of like high times or whatever they had the legal highs fluffy nuggets of indicative dream or you know and it's like what (laughs) and anyway it's just it was all lies but that's the scary thing is now it's like those things are real and they have chemicals in them that will mess you up and particularly with the synthetic cannabinoids i guess the thing is that natural uh cannabinoids thc cbd all, all the ones that are in the cannabis plant um they don't fully bind to your uh, cannabinoid receptors, so they don't completely block the cannabinoid receptors from being engaged by your limbic system or whatever it is. The whatever I just said limbic system, and I don't know what that means. <laughs> uh, again, not a scientist. I'm just um, nodding. <laughs> but uh, no, but so long story short, it's a different biochemical effect than smoking cannabis or eating cannabis. It's <clears throat> it's a whole new thing. Um, and, which, and that's what's really scary about it, too. And the most depressing thing about that as well is that people are using it because they don't want to fail a drug test. It's like they, they use spice because so they don't want to fail a drug test. Because that was actually – that is a huge aspect, right? That yeah. is really something that they, they harp on in the book where it's like, okay – so once again, it's these unintended consequences, right? Yeah. But but the starting point is people who have an urge or you know an undeniable urge to control other humans, and mm. at the heart of it, that is genuinely the problem we have now. Yeah. Can you imagine? You know, I was listening to to you know legislators here in our great state of New Hampshire, you know, talking a whole lot of nonsense about the <laughs> weed. Yeah. And um, and <sighs> I was just like, you know, it's a problem. First of all, it's a problem because uh, the propagandists actually believe their own propaganda now. They do. But I was like, can you imagine if we had to, like, legalize alcohol now? Like, oh, what would that process even look like? Or a car or whatever, right? So, so people bring these arguments and they're like, well, we can't do that because one person did this or died here right. or, you know, and it struck me in the book with the fentanyl and this will sound like an awful thing to say, but even all these places where people have died, mm-hmm. you know, you're talking about thousands of users and it's maybe less than 1% of people who are dying, right? right? So as these things go, you, you could actually make an argument that, these are uh, it's it's fairly safe and imagine how safe it would be if people just knew what yeah, the dosage well, was that's and again i mean you you don't uh people don't typically die from using heroin they die from a communicable disease from dirty needles or from an infection or from you know they all of these things like the the drug in itself isn't the killer it's the a lot of times it's the attendant lifestyle that's forced by prohibition um Right. So, yeah, like the dirty the, the, needles. Well, the, and the... it's really this inversion. I mean, I remember, um, I remember my parents. My my mom used to say that, uh, you know, doing drugs it leads. It was it was four things. Um, it leads to uh, uh, insanity, criminality, and death. 
And if you really think about it, it like what so actually life, leads to those though. things. <laughs> well, no, what actually leads to those things is prohibition. I mean, that's like prohibition is what causes the the criminality and the death and the insanity. Living under a regime where like you're you're a broken human being, and I don't mean I don't mean that in a cruel way. I just mean like we all have these problems, and you're trying to address your problems with something that's causing even more problems. <clears throat> and the reaction of society at large is, you, you should be in jail, that. right? Right, yeah. you should be in jail or die. Right. You know, and actually, uh, and, and and you mentioned something earlier that I wanted to go back to, and that's the sort of therapeutic aspect of these things, right? Because when the government talks their propaganda and your brains on drugs and right. there's no like all the negative, <laughs> like there's no right. But what we now know, and I think we've talked about this in the past, but I highly recommend Michael Pollan's book also mm. on, you know, he, he's a 50-something dude who was like, hey, I'm going to go explore all these drugs that I just never, you know, he wasn't a pot smoker. He wasn't really a drug yeah. user. And he was like, well, you know, I want to go find out more about this. And mm. basically what he discovered, as most, you know, sane, actual, normal people know um, or should know, is that, you know, these things exist because they could have, you know, some kind of therapeutic use. Like right. we know now that LSD can actually help people with alcoholism. Yep. Um, and so it's it's within those controlled sort of right. environments. But and MDMA can help people with PTSD and so people specifically with a bunch of other trauma-related yeah, uh, mental illnesses. Right. Yeah. With, the, with the MDMA, there was this line in the in the fentanyl book that really struck me where, where the woman said, you know, we could at this stage have cured probably most veteran PTSD yeah. If this product was not illegal. Now, I want you to think about that because, you know, so the government sends people to go make war, basically destroys their psyche. I mean, it's not a healthy thing. It doesn't matter how noble you were told it is. Yeah. It's not good to go around killing other people. And so these people are, your word earlier, broken, right? The, 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 something, like, that's a terrible thing to put a human yeah. being through. Yeah. And if you're a good person, you're going to feel bad about it, which means you're going to have post-traumatic right. stress. Lifelong effects, yeah. And it's like there is medicine that your own government that already sent you to yeah. go do these awful things and broke you now says you're not allowed to have because boo-hoo-hoo, we don't like it. No, it's it's like unimaginable imaginably cruel and the and the irony in a lot of ways too is that uh, i mean and again i you know i i may stick my neck out a bit too far on this because i've been interested in it for a long time but i get the feeling that there was going to be a therapeutic revolution in the 50s and 60s and it was destroyed by prohibition because the government was afraid of what would happen with a bunch of well-adjusted happy people i, I mean I, <laughs> no i i mean i actually believe that as well and i think we are standing on the cusp of a second evolution yeah. i hope with those things right well, which the, is why we've got to you know move towards so so we're in such a catch-22 in some yeah. ways right because so we have prohibition and we could say here's a group of things that we think are healthier right mm. so we'll say mdma right. like the ones we were talking right. about earlier or to and reduce then, harm at least right. yeah and then there are all these like like spice k2 like weirder compounds that seem more dangerous seem mm. to be killing more people are too strong you know so basically when you make these better category of things illegal every time you make something illegal mm -hmm. faster worse ones are going to come out right. right because that's what you're doing because people will evolve and we will right. adjust and, and the metaphor it's like you're squeezing a balloon the air goes somewhere else in the balloon even right. if you you know yeah and and so we're <laughs> in this scenario where we're saying please can we make this one category of things legal and they're using all these other things that are the outcome right. that they to say no, we can't. To say no, you can't. <laughs> we can't right? undo this thing that we've done. <laughs> we did all of this. It's all our fart fault. <laughs> fart fault. Um, but we're going to continue with the probe. Like we're just going to double down, right? right? And and so back it's to China for madness. a second, yeah. right? So China, with their factories and their subsidies mm -hmm. and all of that, we're like. Okay, so these are just uh, companies that are making chemicals, right? Yeah. And um, and so they haven't blanket banned things. So in, in right. the States and in parts of Europe and stuff, they, they've gotten Europe actually just went, we can't even keep up with all these different compounds, so we're just going to blanket ban right. 
all of it. If it's like anything, anything. Yeah, then I it's think banned. that's the wording, yeah, exactly. right? Like yeah. substantially similar to anything right. else, which, you know, I don't know, on a molecular Might level would be life. <laughs> <laughs> but in some ways, that's yeah. kind of where we are, right? I mean, I know this is overstating it a little bit, but like we are moving at a, you know, like we folks, we got to make a decision. Like, are we like, are we going to go more freedom or are we just going to like go straight tyranny? And I'm like the yeah. track record of the government. Why is anyone still listening to them? Why, 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 why? <sighs> or, or the ones that we currently have with the current model Force that we habit. have, you know, <laughs> it's, 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 well, I hope there's a tipping point and I hope yeah. part of it is that therapeutic thing, right? Yeah, because well, what if all these broken people are the result of drug prohibition. Right. If instead of people being harmonically uh, uh, imbalanced, right? Yeah. Because, you know, we're all weird human beings and we all got to, like, life's hard and, and you got to figure things out. And mm. maybe, like, if we leaned into some of the softer tools that would help us cope yeah. with these things, then we wouldn't have this situation where we now have, you know, homeless junkies lying around everywhere, right. shitting on sidewalks no, all I over mean, America. I, I, ironically, it's like it might be a situation where the solution to drug use is different drug use. <laughs> like, I, 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 I it's like maybe we to to get. I mean, because who like the psychology of opiate addiction or whatever. Uh, I mean, there, it's probably something that you can figure out just in the same way that it's the psychology of a lot of other like traumatic uh, or illnesses that are based in trauma and psychological harm. And I think that like. Anyway, this is this is a totally different, bigger topic. But like, what the one of the big problems of the modern world is that we have a, a nervous system and a brain um, that is uh, really, wired for panic. Well, <laughs> not just wired for panic, but wired for like not wired for prosperity. Like we're we're wired to survive, uh, and things are really pretty good for humans right now. Like really, by and large, across the board. And I realize there's lots of exceptions. People are having bad times and places. Don't tell Greta. Yeah, I know. It's the worst time ever to be a human, according to some people. But oh, these um, poor kids. That's I know. also right, but the think government about that. traumatizing Think about all of their them. traumatized brains. I mean, you know what I mean? They're, it, it's the same as like being told that you're all going to go to hell for your inherent sinfulness. You know, like, like a Calvinist society <laughs> where it's like, and some of you are damned for no reason. Sorry. <laughs> you know, like... Uh, it, it, it messes people's heads up. <laughs> and if there's some way out of that, uh, I don't know. I, I think that a lot of those people, they're missing community and they feel like they're worthless. You know, like that's the the pain of like feeling that you can't contribute or you're so busted up that like you can't be a part of real society but and you're consigned to the margins forever. Like. Well, it's That's also, in your mind. Right, and but it's can... also because of prohibition, right, that yeah. it's forced to the margins, right? right? So so we're allowed to go to Vegas, which is just basically a pantheon of, like, excess, pleasure, right? Pleasure, yeah. Yeah, like, it's the pleasure dome, right? And everyone's like, oh, you got to go there at least once in life, right? Yeah. But if you're some poor junkie, then, like, I mean, you're relegated to the, the closed factory yeah. that used to be the crack house. That's now, like, the fentanyl right. house. And it's like... It's nasty, right? So and then on top like, of that, too, they have the, I mean, you're more likely to have an interaction with law enforcement. You're more likely to go to jail, which means you're more likely to be on parole once you are free. And then you got to pee in a cup once a week. So, so hey, so spice looks pretty good. spice instead I, of like, a, right. you know, real marijuana right. and all of it, right? And so I the get, vicious one, cycle. one reaction could be, well, you don't have to use anything. You could just straighten up and fly right. Um, and you might be able to straighten up and fly right with like a loving, supportive community around you. And there might be some people that are strong enough to straighten up and fly right because they just decide to do it. Um, but it doesn't seem like that's the case with everybody. Quit alcohol yeah, right. almost <laughs> two years doing a happy dance. Yeah, but like, so I, I don't know. It's like I, I think that there's a massive lack of um, like charity and extension of goodwill to people. Uh, and the reactions, it, it means that people that are like their their problems come from feeling as though they are useless and marginal and then our policies and the the thrust of mainstream culture pushes us to say you are useless and marginal right and, yeah, and, like, and i don't 
if you recall this from the book, but he talked about, you know, the rave culture and sort of all these people who are on ecstasy. Mm-hmm. And that was definitely like, that was sort of my, my, my youth, yeah. right? You know, we used to buy it. Uh, that was know, another scary thing. All these, these kids are dancing and hugging each other. Well, yeah, <laughs> it's but you unacceptable. Know, so, so, so that was basically his point, right? He was like, the rave culture was like very loving. It was like very, it, it, it was like a really beautiful. I mean, this is a drug that's, that you know cures yeah. PTSD. It's a pretty special, nice drug. Yeah. And um and then when they made it illegal and they switched it with like one letter, right? And yep. then suddenly he was like, oh my god, like there are all these fights. Everyone's everyone like on. everyone had switched to some. It might have been yeah. a switch to some everyone's kind of meth. An amphetamine analog. Or it was analog. like an amphetamine high, yes. right? And suddenly it became all violent and all these things, yeah. right? And so I, you know, I also look at the schedule of. Drugs, you right. know, and you're just Cannabis like, is wow, one. you know, like how it's it's like we're living in a topsy turvy, slightly yeah. insane world where, like, why can't they see it? Right? Yeah, uh, I I don't know. Well, I have one more thing to say about this, and then I think that the the topsy turviness uh, that's actually a good transition to talk about the the current vape menace. But anyway, to just to kind of complete the story about China, this is where it, I, I thought the book got very interesting is that uh, the way that they incentivize the incentivize these tech companies, which chemical manufacturers are included is that they give them um, there's a massive value added tax on everything in China. Um, and they give manufacturers up to 16% rebates on their VAT tax uh, for products that are on this list of chemicals that they want to export and all of the fentanyl analog or excuse me fentanyl precursors are on this list so all of these companies are getting these they're really subsidies to sell fentanyl precursors to mexican cartels to get it to america and there's some speculation about whether that's kind of like you know, a little little payback to the Western world for the opium war. Which, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm like legit, you know, let's just go back to 18, what it was, uh, 1850s, 1890s, whatever it was, right? When and that Britain was got literally... the Chinese hooked on opium. Yes. I mean, crazy. Like, let's see, because it's so funny. Like, the opium wars, always in my mind, I was like, yeah, China with their, like, you know, the, the golden triangle. And right. I was like, oh, it's all coming. No, it was England. The great British Empire who were like, oh, you know what? We should get the Chinese hooked on this product. And not only did they do it once, they went back and they Again. did a second yeah. opium war. And so honestly, I mean, you know. Well, and it, it looms, I guess it looms pretty large in like the Chinese cultural memory too. Uh, uh, in particular that, you know, they're about as anti-drug a society as you can be. And boy, I mean, if you, I mean, they did and, they and, and the 50s, that, yeah. you know, the late 40s, early 50s, I think they were just like, drugs are bad. We are going to kill all yeah. drug users. And they did. They killed yeah. millions. And they still execute people that traffic drugs. Uh, but the, I mean, man, if there's one one thing that sure points to the futility of prohibition is uh, you can't keep drugs out of prison and you can't keep drugs out of China where they execute you for. Tra- I mean, like if it, it's that worth it. To people to change their consciousness. So, like, is this really what we want to try to do? Um, anyway, I, I think that's a pretty pretty clear real world example of it. This is an impossible task. So, so back to that sort of concept, uh, they do talk about, um, and I think it's mostly American government types who are like, well, you know, is this a war? Is this a right. secret war that China is now, you know, foisting on the American yeah. people? And what can we do about it? I don't know if you're struck with it as well, but how much interdiction like how much america's dea is doing like drug all war over the world wars, like all over the, the yeah. world in a way where i was like wow this isn't just empire building this isn't even just the the ron paul 172 you know military yeah. base empire kind of stuff this is literally we have you know, police forces that are going out into different parts of the world and saying, we are right. going in, to police in your, China, you know, in Indonesia, China, Australia, in, yeah. Europe, like everywhere, right? Yeah. And then you realize, uh, of course, I mean, uh, to make a big jump, but then you realize, of course, with, with Silk Road and Ross Ulbricht and all of that, why, like, that their hammer was so yeah. incredibly hard because yeah. they were just like, this is really getting out of control and we're losing our... <laughs> You're going to ruin know, our sham. <laughs> um, but but you know so so I think maybe a good segue here with the vaping right mm-hmm. is that a lot of the the vape p- 
products and stuff are also coming out of China, yes. right? So, yeah, and so this is, and speaking of giant shams, um, yeah, so there's been a revolution in uh, technology to deliver drugs, um, and it is basically the electronic vaporization technology uh, where you dissolve a drug in a uh, propylene glycol or alcohol or some kind of substrate, uh, and then you can put it into a little cartridge and you put a little electronic battery on it and you can puff right off of it. Uh, and they have, I mean, you can make them with anything from nicotine to meth to DMT. I mean, I've heard the, I've, I've heard wow, tell really? that there are DMT vapes. Oh man. I don't think <laughs> I should ever like... get my hands on a meth vape. Well, I, I, I feel I mean, like that God. could be a good time and a bad time. Mostly a bad time Just for everyone else. Don't mix the DMT vape with the weed vape. Good wow. Lord. All of like, a sudden. Oh my God. The aliens are yeah, coming. You're, you're, you're just about to go get breakfast and suddenly you're speaking to the machine elves, but, um, <laughs> who are tinkering with reality. No, but, uh, yeah. So anyway, so it's, it's a new delivery system for anything really. Um, and it's become extremely popular for nicotine because people, you know, it's water vapor and nicotine. Uh, and it it's helps a, people quit smoking right, it and it's much healthier than cigarettes. Right. And, the, and the reason being, obviously, cigarettes are made of tobacco and paper and they're full of the curing. carcinogens. Well, right. And the curing process and the, just what tobacco is and the fact that you're lighting it on fire and inhaling the burning smoke, um, it's significantly more uh, contributive to oral cancer, lung cancer, all the cancers. Um, whereas nicotine isn't a carcinogen, it's just a, it's a, uh, alkaloid, you know, it's molecule. A, it's and, and it doesn't cause cancer and it doesn't cause cancer and it's actually right. supposed to be like, it's not that bad as drugs go. It's a lot, it's very addictive. It's like caffeine. It's very, very addictive is the, is the only right. major but, issue. And but, it raises but your But no rate. one's going, we should shut down Starbucks and Dunks corners, no, you know, but everyone's drug. like, Hey, let's shut down the, the, uh, the vape store on the corner. Yeah, well, like and, these and the businesses. well, here's the and here's the side issue with that too is that nicotine is not tobacco, and nicotine is not taxed like tobacco. Oh, um, well, they're trying to fix that, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, as you may know, the uh, tobacco tax revenue is pretty important for a lot of states, and most of them they have it where it's like, oh, we'll fund the schools with the tobacco, which is it's this kind of ass backwards thing where you're like relying on people to give themselves cancer to fund the schools, which is a little bit of a weird set of incentives. Anyway, long story. Story short, as you've probably seen in the news, uh, people have been becoming ill, and the general thrust of the news is that it's because of vapes, just vapes general. Um, and it's kind of intimated that it's e-cigs, e-cigarettes, or you know, vaporizing nicotine e-juice, uh, particularly Juul or any of these other you know brands that do the nicotine vaporizer. Now tell me, is it like a crocodile story? Is it well, all true, Brink? Well, or... as it turns out. The people that are getting sick are getting sick from black market cannabis vaporizers, basically, um, which uh, some genius decided right. to put vitamin E in. Right. Well, as a thickener, because and again, it's because they they don't they don't know. They're just trying to make something that's the right viscosity. And I mean, they're like, whatever. Well, well, both that. And it's yeah. also like vitamin E. You know, if you're just some dumb hippie. Sounds like it's good to eat. So, yeah. I mean, it's actually FDA approved. And yeah. uh, the people, their speculation that that's actually what happened, right? Be right. But it's not approved for smoking or ingestion. Right, for, it's right, like for inhaling. For, you it's know, for like topical. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so there's a combination of different issues. So uh, we have these states where cannabis is legal and where people sell legitimate cartridges that have cannabis distillate uh, that's produced in a lab and checked for quality and you know what's in it. Um, and those are just fine, and nobody's dying from them. Um, but there's this massive black market in these knockoff cartridges, and they're typically, you know, you can tell that they're uh, black market cartridges because they use copyrighted material that they would never get away with if they were a legitimate company. Like, it'll have Mario, or it'll have, you know, Disney characters, or Star Wars, or whatever. Um, and there's several sort of, like, fake known brands. One is Dank Vapes. Uh, which apparently it just doesn't exist. It's just like a fake name that has come into currency for these black market cartridges. Well, and it's also, isn't it, that it's being shipped, like it's mass produced in China and they're being shipped, um, yes. I think, partly, I mean, probably all over, but the specific uh, article I read was that it goes to this market in L.A., right? Where yes. That becomes this huge distribution center right. for all these things. And so it's just basically like off the shelf, like you would buy, you know. Right, you uh, buy the 
empty cartridges, you buy the juice, you buy, you know, and then you take the cannabis stuff and you mix it in with the juice. But the, but the problem is like the, the cutting, uh, solutions that they sell and i think we read the same article it's like honey thick and like like super sludge you know where it's all like stuff to increase the viscosity of solutions um nobody knows what's in them they're not regulated and they're just using them and going for it uh so basically i mean if you read these stories uh if they say that it's from a jewel device they're lying and they smoked weed and don't want to get in trouble for it um, there in particular, this one teenage girl, I'm just like annoyed at her, uh, because she became deathly ill and it obviously wasn't from a, a legal product. It was from a black market product, but I feel like she's just like, I'm going to get in trouble if I say it. Right. Um, so once, once again, another problem with prohibition, right? right. So now suddenly you're right, like, I'll get in oh, trouble if I tell the truth. It. So yeah, um, seems like a bad incentive system. Yeah. And then I would imagine that what will what's on the horizon is probably the infiltration of those spice type substances in place of cannabis oil. Um, so that there will be black market cannabis vapes that are actually, you know, uh, JWH 732 or, you know, whatever hasn't been banned yet. Can, can we explore this idea a little bit about the, the regulated versus unregulated, right? So one argument you'll hear in libertarian sort of circles, right, is that the market will take care of itself, right? Yeah. No one's in it to, like, kill their customers. Uh, you know, like, all these uh. things where if you really, <laughs> like, you know, I, I think we live in an exciting time because I feel like a lot of my own ideas need to get challenged yeah. because it's like, well, okay, hold on a second. So, uh, so arguably, I mean, if you just from a pure anarchist perspective were to look at what the market, then there should be no shitty products on right. the market. Nothing should, you know, like, right. Everything should be great. <laughs> but that's actually not an entirely fair argument either, right? Mm. Because the thing is, because it's prohibited, right. we don't have any vetting systems. Like there's no... Uh, better business bureau mm. who are awful, but that's a separate conversation. Right. There's no sort of, you know, five-star reputation base. And of course, that's what Silk Road and a lot of these sort of harm reduction sites yeah. were trying to do, right, is to say, this is a dangerous situation for all people concerned. Right. So let's try and make it as safe right. as possible. And we sell it to you with though, test strips so that you can see that it's exactly... Right. You know, and, yeah. and there were labs, there were labs all over the world where you could send things, you know, you could send your e-pills, Right. Can tell you exactly what it's in it. Now, of course, none of that would actually have to exist if we had a functioning, uh, just normal right. free if, market. If all the drug testing at it. CVS was actually see what's in your drugs, not see what's in your pee. Right, <laughs> right. You know, I mean, it's not like you know you're you're going to CVS and and you know I am getting my thyroid medicine over the counter and I'm like, oh, I feel compelled to now have a separate right. entity tested. No, I heard you that know, Rite because, Aid has like really good thyroid right? medicine though. Is this the good stuff? Uh, Is it the same? You know, so exactly right. So at some stage, you kind of know that oh, you you like Chardonnay and you like these brands and oh, you're gonna go out and get that right. Yeah. So it's sort of like also this escalation in terms of the products and uh, the how we use them with the mm. vapes and all of that is partly a product of the prohibition. Yeah. No, and that's the, I mean, I think that that's also, uh, producers care a lot less about killing their customers if there's no legal recourse for the customer. You know what I mean? Like if you're a company and you cause someone's death, you have like a wrongful death tort on your hands. If you're a shadowy drug dealer that lives in like Sinaloa in Mexico or something. Is that a place or a cartel? I, uh, I think it's, it's both a, a place and a cartel. It's it's both. Of the, it's a province and yes. a cartel. Okay. Like yes, Yucatan, like Sinaloa, a, Chihuahua. Okay. Yes. I, I used to know all of them. Anyway. Uh, but yeah, if you're that guy. You need to watch Narcos, baby. Obviously. If you're, if you're that guy and you're like <laughs> selling whatever to people in America – who cares? <laughs> what are you gonna you gonna sue me? I mean, <laughs> right? Although although we do see with law enforcement that there is this sort of push towards we're gonna take down the kingpins and we're yeah. gonna like get the fentanyl distributors and you know and and I think that's partly marketing, yeah. Sort of like the the story, the narrative as well, right? Right. We're but winning this war on drugs somehow, even though we keep losing forever. You know, and uh, I mean, uh, the war on drugs. I mean, I was looking up this morning for some unrelated thing. It was uh, about um, 
stun grenades, right? Like yeah. the, the flashbang grenades that the SWAT teams will use when they raid people. Yeah. And I just randomly, I, uh, I had heard this about this case where uh, the state had made an argument in a court case that was a raid that had gone wrong. I think a kid was hurt or killed or something. And, of course, the state made the argument, no, these flash grenades are perfectly safe. Oh, yes. And so the defense attorney was like, if that's the case, I would like to detonate one in court right yeah. now, right? And everyone was like, no! <laughs> but it's perfectly and I was safe. Like, but, and, and, and I love that argument, so I love that. Yeah. But I was trying to find the actual article, so I just did a quick Google search. And I couldn't even find the article that I recalled, but there were pages and just pages of stories about flashbang grenade SWAT raids on people. Yeah. Oh, oops, and I'm that like, kid's so face got blown off. Oops, oops. To protect people from drugs by blowing up their kids in their cribs? It's it's outrageous Can unless you yeah. the logic to me at this stage. Can we just, you know, just say no. Stop? I mean, that's the whole logic is just say no. It's it's really depressing to see how stuck in, you know, 1982 uh, public discourse on this issue is. That was 40 years ago almost. And uh, oh, my God. I'm... But the thing is, also, <laughs> can you imagine if we expended the resources that we have spent on the war on drugs just on actual, truthful, accurate, yeah. scientific information so that people can make informed decisions about what they physically put in their bodies. Is that too much to ask for? I think for? there would be a lot less addiction and violence. Do you think so? I, I think so think too. So so do you think our world might be a better way to go about organizing <laughs> our societies than this crazy world where we have these draconian people who think that they can tell you what to do with your life, your body, and your mind? I think... That just might be true. So, you know, I think Brink and Carla should be in charge of the world. Obviously. <laughs> On that note, I think that we should probably say goodbye for the day. But thank you so much for listening. And, uh, yeah, as always, if you have any questions or ideas for something that we should talk about, just let us know. We're, we're highly available and we'd love to uh, hear from you. Peace out. Bye.